All right, would you guys stand with me? Um, this morning we're participating in a, in a special Sunday that's happening actually internationally across Canada, across the U.S., and internationally, an initiative on just preaching on biblical sexuality. And uh, so we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 19 this morning, just a couple of verses. But uh, before we do, I want to read from Psalm 96, verse 9 and 10, that says this. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. And then in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 and 5, Jesus said this. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So, Lord, just as we uh, we consider your kingdom, we consider your word, Lord, we consider, consider creation and marriage and sexuality this morning and discuss these things. We pray that your spirit would just be here with us in a unique way, Lord. We just open our hearts to you, Father, because your word tells us that Jesus, that God is love. Uh, he is life. He is light. And we pray, Lord, that your light would just uh, enter our hearts, that we would experience and know your love for each one of us this morning, Father, and that your word would, yeah, bring light to our thinking, and so, Lord, uh, we ask that you would just anoint this time as we discuss these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Grab a seat. Sweet. Well, this morning, yeah, we're, we're participating, um, taking some time to consider what God's Word has to say about sexuality, marriage, the nature of men and women, gender. And it's kind of cool because we're participating. Not kind of cool. It is cool. We're participating in something that's happening across Canada um, the U.S., internationally. I know that this initiative started two years ago. And the first year, there were 3,000 churches that participated. I don't, I don't know how many it was um, last year. Um, but this, this initiative to teach in churches on biblical sexuality actually was born after uh, what happened at the end of 2021 and uh, early in 2022. And in uh, 2022, on January 8th, um, Bill C-4 was brought into law in Canada. It's known as the anti-conversion therapy uh, law. Bill C-4, I would say, is like just kind of the latest move in a, in, a, in a slide, a descent that our nation's been on. And it's just kind of a natural step as a, as a nation rejects the Lord, rejects his moral law rejects um, his word, his eternal nature, his divine power that's, that the word of God tells us can be clearly perceived in the world. Um, it's the next step. And so the tragic thing about Bill C-4, maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not, is that Bill C-4 was uh, voted into law without a single dissenting vote in the House of Commons. Uh, together, the government and the opposition Came, came together unanimously and they voted Bill C-4 into law. And it's a, it's, it's a law that, um, you know, it hasn't been tried in the courts yet. That's going to happen, I imagine, in the future. But it's a law that would say about the biblical uh, view on human sexuality. Actually, I'll just quote. and It's going to be on the screen. This is the preamble of Bill C-4. 
is based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, including the myth that heterosexuality, cisgender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions. And what the bill goes on to do is uh, criminalize uh, the preaching, the teaching, and the counseling of a biblical sexual ethic that would call any person, man or woman, to conform to God's design and God's purpose for sexuality. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's an irony. You know, the bill's called what? Bill C4? <laughs> it's kind of, you know, we know what C4 is. It's meant to blow things up, right? And uh, this is what this bill does in many ways. And so it's, it's, you know, there wasn't a single member, 338 members of the House of Commons, not one voted to defend biblical sexuality. And, and it's just a reminder to me, it's like, it's a shocker when you think about it. It's a reminder that those who would put your hope in government or put your hope in political change to turn a nation around, uh, to me, I, I just go, wow, this is a reminder for us as the people of God. Our hope is to be in the Lord. We need God to turn our nation around. We need God to do a work in the hearts and lives of men and women because not a, a single member of parliament across all parties defend, uh, voted to defend what the word of God teaches. And uh, it seems to me that the front line of this battle has become the of this new gender ideology and all the things that are going on is the public school, right? The public school um, where seeds of confusion are sown into the minds of young boys and girls and those who are impressionable. This is why, you know, as a church, we've just felt the growing need that there, we need to have a Christian school and why that initiative was born to work on that. How many of you guys saw the email update that we sent out this week? You guys, did you guys see that? We had, uh, we had our interview. Um, I haven't updated from the front there with regards to the Christian school at the end of November. And we got word after that interview um, discussing matters of education, philosophy, and hiring of staff and our building and uh, policy and all these different things that um, the ministry decided we weren't going to be ready. We, they didn't think we could be ready for um, September. And so they did say, come back and apply for the next year. So we were, I was really disappointed by that. I think our whole team was, but as we began to just process that, we sensed that God's timing is involved in this and he's at work. Um, and so we want to, we want to fight for kids and for training our children in the things of the Lord. And uh, so we're going to keep working at that. And so, you know, as you think about this and you think about where our nation is at, how did we arrive at this place? How did we get here? How do, how does, uh, how do we slide to this position as a country or as a people where we would say, no, no, you can't even speak biblical truth into someone's life. And this is just the next step in a long line of choices. It's like, go back to the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s, a social movement that that challenged traditional uh, biblical values relating to sexuality. And it was literally, it's called a revolution. It was a revolution. Not an overthrowing of government, but an overthrowing of morality. 
biblical, real, uh, biblical morality where uh, the order that is taught in God's word with regards to sexual ethic was tossed aside and the acceptance of, of, of sex outside of marriage and, and different contexts uh, just opened up and, and increased. And it was a revolution that increased the, the acceptance of homosexuality, which rejected monogamy, that, that rejected setting aside uh, sex for the marriage bed. And what happened in our nation is this, is that once sex was separated from the biblical design of God, a God-ordained marriage between a man and a woman, the next target was marriage itself. And so in the last few decades, uh, Satan has made a strategic attack on the image and the glory of God by his influence in the destruction of the marriage vow and the marriage bed and the marriage covenant. Marriage was long protected by laws in our nation. But as we know, in the 80s, the Divorce Act was struck down. By the early 2000s, the state had made itself the authority rather than uh, the church. Had The state made itself the authority over the institution of marriage that God had designed. The state put itself in the place of God, legalized homosexual unions. And so you have a revolution that normalized sexual relationships outside of God's ordinance, God's ordained design of marriage. And then, you know, next the state sets the terms for divorce and it sets itself as the authority to dissolve marriage and further stretched its authority beyond its God-ordained limits to to homosexual unions. And so the result is this, and we've seen this in our nation, the family structure is crumbling, isn't it? It's rarer and rarer that children are, are, are brought up and raised in a family where they have both of their biological parents or that both those parents are living as husband and wife. The family, which is the foundation of, of the health and structure of a society, of a nation, has never been in worse shape than it is in Canada right now. And the state has taken upon itself to educate children that a family can look like whatever definition you want to have, whatever hodgepodge, confused mixture of human relationships that can be assembled, that's a family. And when you consider this, all of a sudden it, sudden it starts to make sense that the, that the next step in this unnatural de-evolution of our nation would be to escalate the attack on the nature of what it is to be a man or a woman, the nature of male and female, to try and separate a man or a woman from the biology of their own physical body, to claim that a man could be a woman or that a woman can be a man or to claim that there are actually more genders than simply male or female. And so the teaching is that you are not restricted by the biology of your body. You can assign whatever gender or sexual identity to yourself that you want. And, and, and the school ground is the forefront of this war. You know, those responsible for sex education in our public schools, even here on the Sunshine Coast, I've mentioned this before, They've dropped the word pedophile from their vocabulary. And they use an acronym, MAP, M-A-P, Minor Attracted Person. It's like, wow, how low do we have to go here? 
And these actions of the state and the education system, they're, they're not harmless or neutral. It's important that we recognize them. They're driven by ideologies that are anti-Christ. They're against the Lord. And the state is not a, a neutral entity. It's not impartial. It's not supporting both sides. It is clearly weighted in its moral stance in a specific direction. Do we see that in our culture? And the great lie is, the, the great lie of the education system and the great lie of governments is that they are secular and morally neutral. They're, they're not morally neutral. They're not religiously neutral. They are religious in their institution, in their nature, and in the decisions that they make. It's like Jesus, when he spoke about this world, he did not say some things are religious and some things are not. Some things are spiritual and some things are not. He said this, you are for me or you are against me. And he didn't make any soft ground in the middle. And so the secular state is, is not neutral. It's advancing antichrist agendas. And so we as the church are, are called to be light. To be the pillar and foundation of truth in our culture. We're called to proclaim the kingdom of God and the rule of Christ Jesus. And to call men and women everywhere to repentance from sin and faith in Christ Jesus and to find out how Christ can create in you a clean heart as we sung this morning. And so there's a clash, clash of kingdoms and culture is transforming. And, and, and I have to think, I don't know about you, I, I don't think these things are going to stop unless God in his mercy brings revival to our nation. Unless he puts a hook in our jaw and brings us to himself Political change is not the solution. As much as I want political change, as much as the next person, I don't think that's going to fix it. And so this morning, uh, the desire of my heart is just to share what the Word of God says about, <coughs> excuse me, God's ordained design for human sexuality and gender. Uh, to be a dissenting voice, to be light, to speak uh, truth to our culture. To be a church and a person who points people to Jesus and his word. Because men and women won't understand their identity. And they won't understand their value and their worth. And, and they will not find contentment outside of the person of Jesus. Amen? That's what we're ordained for. To be in relationship with God. And any message that would stand against that is a lie. And so the path being promoted in our nation is one that leads to destruction. But the word of God tells us that there's hope. I, uh, I saw not that long ago a, a, a meme, a post online that was advertising something. And it was during Pride Month that said, um, we're, we're straight, but we're not narrow. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's, uh, that's an interesting that's an interesting post. It was celebrating the wide path. And I thought, wow, that's, it sounds really cute. I don't know if you know that that's actually, I was thinking this about the person that posted it, that that's actually taken from the words of Jesus. And it's actually only a partial quote. quote. He said this, wide is the path that leads to destruction and straight narrow is the path that leads to life and few finds it. And so church, we want to point people to Jesus. We want to point people to a path that leads to life. 
and life is found in Christ. He said that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the what? The life. So we want to put our hope in Christ. We want to put our hope in his word. We want to call our nation to that. We want to call culture to that. He is the power. Jesus is the power by which God set the heavens and the earth in place. He is the one who spoke into the darkness and said, let there be light. Jesus is the one who brings order into chaos, who makes the path of life known. His word tells us that in him there is fullness of joy. There is contentment at his right hand. There is pleasure. And so to those in search of fulfillment in life, in joy, in pleasure, I just want to remind you what the word of God says. Jesus is the answer. His word directs us that there is a biblical sexual ethic that men and women are called to. And his word says this, you were called to freedom. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Serve one another. And so the message of the gospel is this. Christ has come. God clothed himself in flesh. And he came and he bore the punishment of sin, that which separated us from God. He died in our place and he was buried and he was raised to life and he gives life and hope and he gives identity to those who will trust in him and he commands us to live for him and his kingdom and so those trapped in search for in a search for life looking for light looking for meaning searching for identity i can tell you this look no further than christ he has come. He saves all who call on his name. He is our hope. And so we don't put our hope in political powers. We don't put our hope in human institutions. As much as we desire to see them reformed and led by godly men and women, we hope in the Lord. And the Lord has promised, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Amen. Also encouraged this week because this was our best, like all the years that we've done, the weeks of prayer, it was our best ever attended week of prayer. I'm like, wow, Lord, you're at work. You're, you're doing things. When we think about our nation. We, we need to turn to the Lord, we need a, a church that's in tune with the Lord. And these things happening in our nation, it's not, it's not liberation and freedom for the human soul. It's not the liberation of people kind. These are attacks on the nature of God and his word. It's an assault on Christ. These, these moves by the state, these are attacks on God's creational design and it's meant to hurt those that God is seeking to redeem from sin. And so this is the devil's scheme to kill, to steal and destroy. He's the father of lies. Jesus said when he speaks lies, it, it, he's speaking in his native tongue because he was a liar from the beginning. And Satan's making a strategic attack against the image and the glory of God. An attack against marriage and humanity. 
Man is made in the image of God and to live for his glory. And the purpose of our lives is this, the glory of God. The purpose of your life is to glorify God. And the mission of God is his own glory. That's what he's seeking. His own glory. So we must constantly turn to the word of God and have the word of God renew our minds and renew our thinking, transform and shape our thinking so that we have a view of this world that is biblical and honoring to God. And so again, Jesus said this in Matthew 19, verse 4 and 5. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. <clears throat> um, the context of this chapter is actually significant. Matthew chapter 19. Jesus is ending his Galilean ministry. And Galilee is where he picked his disciples. It was the center of his his ministry and his life with those men, the training that he did with them. And in Matthew chapter 19, uh, there, there's a switch that happens that Jesus has now set his sights on Jerusalem and he's telling his disciples, I am going to go to Jerusalem and there in Jerusalem, I will be crucified. And it's not registering for them. They don't, they don't uh, know everything that's about to happen but there's a change in the direction of his ministry that's going to lead to the cross. And in Matthew chapter 19, as Jesus is beginning to leave Galilee, several issues of ethics and morality are raised. And we're not going to look at them all this morning, just this one idea. But uh, this discussion was born out of the question that was actually designed to test Jesus. The, 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 those who were... Uh, you know, the legal authorities and culture, the Pharisees, asked Jesus about the legal allowance for divorce. And this was his answer. Subject of divorce, obviously, in that culture was fiercely debated amongst the scholars. And more important than their debates was this, their desire to trap and to kill Jesus. The text tells us that's exactly what they were seeking to do. They didn't really want to have a theological conversation. They wanted to trap him so that they could kill him. And this question about divorce led to an answer about the foundational principles of, create, of the creation of man and woman and the institution of marriage. And Jesus, rather than lowering the bar... He raised the bar. He exalted God's design in men and women and the institution of marriage. He said marriage, human identity, human sexu sexuality are as old as creation itself. In fact, Jesus answered and he said this, haven't you read? He's speaking to the scholars of the day. Haven't you read? And it's a statement that's like it's implying. The answer is actually pretty obvious, you guys. This is obvious. But when humans become debased by sin, immorality leads to confusion. The Word of God teaches us that, that, that a human being actually devolves by participation in sin. Their thinking becomes debased and reprobate. Their mind becomes confused about what is right and what is wrong. 
And there is nothing more clear than the ability to identify a man or a woman by biology. It's obvious. But for a debased mind, the obvious becomes blurred. And to appeal to the conscience of those who questioned, to clear the clouds of confusion, Jesus said this, haven't you read? All the questions, you know, in our culture, floating around about sexuality and gender, the answer is so obvious. It's so obvious. But you have to turn to the word of God and read it. And it's a question for us of this, whose authority do we live by? Whose authority do we live by? Do we live by the words of men or do we live by the word of God? And when it comes to human sexuality, the plain, simple reading of God's word is all it takes. That's what Jesus said. You know, even in our day, many Christians are aligning themselves and pledging allegiance to the sexual ethics of the world. Pope did this recently, as you know. Didn't make that decision on the, the basis of the, the, the plain, simple reading of God's word, but rather by listening to those who cast shadow over God's counsel. By listening to those who love the praises of men rather than the approval of God. And Jesus simply turned to those who questioned. He simply turned them to the word of God. He turned them to the beginning. Because when you want to understand a story, you go to the beginning. Because the beginning introduces the theme and the, the characters and the context and the setting of a story. You know this if you try to watch a movie and jump partway in. or You know you love that when you sit down and you're watching a movie and then someone jumps in partway and they say, what's going on here? Who's that guy? What's going on here? It's like it doesn't work. You have to start from the beginning. <laughs> and here's the question. Who set the design and the purpose of creation? The answer is God. God spoke. In the beginning, God. God spoke into the darkness. And the first thing to break forth in darkness uh, was light brought forth by the word of God. He spoke. God said. The Bible tells us he made the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea, the trees and the animals. He spoke and the sea teemed with living creatures. He spoke all things into existence and he said, it's good. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back into Genesis on Wednesday night. So I encourage you to come. Come join us on Wednesday night. We'll be in Genesis chapter 1 talking about the image of God. Man. When God purposed to make man, he said this. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the, live, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth and over everything that creeps on earth. And then the word of God tells us this, that he took dust of the earth and he formed and fashioned a man and he breathed the breath of life into the man and he became a living creature. And the Bible tells us that in all of creation, man is unique. He's not, he's not just another animal. He's not just evolved bacteria. Man is not on par with the rest of creation. Man is unique in God's creation as the image bearer of God. God made a creature similar to himself. Not, 
not identical, but similar to himself that would reflect his nature and character. And I, and I, I like this. It's important because, well, let me qualify something for you. In creation, in the creation account, God does not call people or call human beings people kind. He calls them man. Man. Actually, we know this, that God classified in the Genesis chapter 1, he, he classified the creatures of creation into groups. Similar characteristics that they shared. And he called those groups a kind. Kinds. The animal kind. and Human males and females form a, a kind. Humankind or mankind. God named man Ish. That's the Hebrew word for man. Ish and the woman is Isha. And together they formed what God called man. Mankind. And that term, it's not, a, it's not a slight against anyone. It's not a slight against women. It's not a slight against man. It's not a, you know, the patriarchal power seeking to devalue women. It's a biblical classification, a kind. The classification into which God organized human males and females. So when someone like our prime minister famously says, uh, people kind, it's not defending women. It's not what's going on. He's attacking God. He's attacking creational order. He's attacking the word of God. He's attacking the church of God. And not only does it, I think, I think it sounds foolish and stupid, but we have to define, we have to discern the spirit that's behind it. It is an attack on Christ. It's not a defense of women. It's actually a, a promotion of this idea that there's, more than just man and woman. There's more gender identities than the biblical classification of mankind. More than just two types of human beings that make up the collective human race. There's more than a man called Ish and a, a woman called Isha. God made man in his image. And mankind is unique in the midst of all of creation because human males and females are made in the likeness of God. They're called image bearers. That's what our children need to know. You're made in the likeness of God. You're to reflect Him. You bear His image. In fact, this is why God in the Ten Commandments instructed the children of Israel, don't make images of God. Because in creation... God had already made an image that was to reflect his likeness. He had already made an image that was to be his representat representation in creation. Mankind. But mankind was corrupted by sin. And that's why the father sent the perfect man. That's why the father sent his son who became incarnate. Took on flesh. The perfect man to rescue mankind. And so when we, when we look at the growing landscape of gender confusion, what we are seeing is the image of God corrupted by sin. And so we need to know, how do we bear the image of God? I'll give you just four things this morning. We'll discuss this deeper on Wednesday night. What way are we image bearers? Well, I think that we have a like, mental likeness to God, number one. 
relating to our mind, our ability to communicate with others, with God, to the intellectual ability that he's given us, the, the intellect that allows us to reason and to think and to laugh and be creative. We have a moral likeness to God's image. That's just the ability to know right from wrong, to discern good from evil. We have a conscience. We have a conscience, an inner witness of right and wrong because the law of God is written on our hearts. And the word of God warns us that the conscience of a human being can actually be seared, that it can be hardened. And so we need to sing like we did this morning. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. We have a social likeness to God. God is social as displayed in the Trinity. God is one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Together unified in a love relationship. And man is designed to be both social with God and to be social with other human beings. In the perfection of the garden, Adam did this. He walked with God. And God set people in families. We, have a, we bear the image of God in this way. We have a spiritual likeness. We're not just physical beings. We're spiritual beings, different from the animal kingdom. Created to be eternal. Not created to die. Not created for corruption. Not created for sin or for evil. Created to live forever in the likeness of the creator. To be a temple where his spirit dwells. In relationship. And so in Genesis 1.28, when God created man, we read this. He gave to Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion over the earth. And verse, verse 28 says this, and God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So they were told, be fruitful. Multiply, fill the earth, use creation for your benefit. Be a good steward of all that I've made and fill the earth, be fruitful. Before the creation of Eve, Adam was commanded, name all of the animals in creation, discover things. But as Adam was going throughout the, the animal kingdom, the word of God tells us that he found no suitable helper for himself. And so the Lord caused him to fall asleep. And into this deep sleep he went and the Lord came to him and took a rib from his side and closed up that place with flesh. And with the rib the Lord had taken from the man, he made woman and he brought Eve to Adam and presented her to him. And so the creation account tells us that Adam was made from the dust. Eve was created from a rib from Adam's side, Ishan, Isha, man and woman. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God made them male and female. One man, one woman. Sometimes you got to just state obvious things. <laughs> And God provided a wife for the man, Adam, a woman whom he could love, a woman with whom he could enjoy a relationship of love, uh, a relationship that was reciprocal. Love between them could be given. 
and received. She is called in the scripture a helper, which is one of the most beautiful titles handed out in the word of God. Same title given to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. She wasn't taken from his head to rule over him. She wasn't fashioned from his feet to be subservient to him. She was fashioned from a rib to be beside him, side by side, life on life, a helper. And God presented Eve to Adam, man and woman, two individuals, opposite sexes, formed for each other, one to complement the other. This is the first human relationship. I would call it the perfect union. That's exactly what it is. Designed to last forever. Uh, designed to last as long as life. Perfection in male and female brought together as one reflecting the image and the glory of God. You know it's perfection? A man and a woman together in marriage. It's God's design. Wish marriage was that easy though, eh? <laughs> but God's ordained it and he loves it. For Adam and Eve, it truly was perfection. Think about that. They existed in the state of marriage with no sin. No sin. Perfection in the created order. And this is the original institution of marriage. It's the first human relationship that ever existed. There was no room for others. No room for another creature in all of creation to lust after. No room for porn. It's not polygamy. It's not same sex. There's no room for divorce. It's a perfect relationship. One man, one woman perfected in marriage before God. And the word of God says this. Jesus repeated it. The two of them became one. You know, if God had intended for a man to live a solitary life, then he would have created human beings one by one and kept them apart. If he'd intended for mankind to live a polygamous life, he would have made lots of wives for Adam. If God intended mankind to live a homosexual life, then he would have made two men or two women. You know, whenever, this is an important thing about this issue, actually. Whenever the scripture references homosexuality, in the structure of the grammar in your Bible, homosexuality is never expressed as a noun. A noun referring to a, a person, place, or thing, giving an identity. Homosexuality in, in Scripture is never stated in the form of a noun. It's, it's used in the form of a verb, which means this, that it's an action. It's an action that a human being partakes in or participates in. It's not an identity. It's a behavior. And from the beginning, God intended... His creational design, a monogamous heterosexual life, as recounted in the creational account, one man, one woman. And this is why we need to return to the word of God always and be reminded of this. God's word teaches us his moral code and his moral law. This is why the Bible declares to us that, that any sex outside of marriage is called fornication. And the Bible teaches us when someone is married and then they have sex outside of their marriage with someone else, that's a sin called adultery. And the word of God declares to us that the body was not made for these things. 
that your body was not made for sexual immorality. It was made for God that he would be glorified. And there's one place that God has designed for sexual union between a man and a woman where he'd be glorified and he'll be honored. And you'll be protected. And your needs will be met. And it's within the covenant of marriage. One man, one woman. And so Jesus reminded those who asked him. He said this, the two become one flesh. And the original language, when it speaks of this, it speaks about the closest possible union that can exist between two people. the, The original language really expresses this idea that two people are glued together. Which is really beautiful picture. Because when Adam was created, when you think about it, originally man contained woman and she was taken from his side and separated from him and she had a body and he had a body. They were created male and female, perfectly complementary. Woman came from man and then when they came together in sexual union, there's unity and the scripture says the two became one. Their oneness expressed In procreation. In procreation, a child is literally, the birth of your children is literally the expression of your oneness. It's a beautiful thing. It's fruitfulness. That's why our children are beautiful. Amen. Our children are such a gift. I was uh, at the rink there watching Eli coach his hockey team yesterday and sitting in front of Lisa and I was his family. They had just a brand new baby there, you know. Just watching husband and wife, or I don't, I don't even know who they were. I'm just like watching them, looking at each other, looking at their baby. I'm like, wow, it's beautiful. It's an expression of oneness and fruitfulness. In the Dominion Mandate, uh, procreation is, is an exercise of dominion. God ordained this to take place. In an exclusive relationship of marriage, which means this, we're we're right to call we're right to call marriage and sexuality a creation ordinance, meaning these are God's legislation. It's his design, it's his legislation. I like that because it's like there's no parliamentary voting in, in, in heaven. Okay, the mandate and the directive for a relationship between a man and a woman and their sexual identity comes. From God. He made them male and female. He made you male or female. And he made it obvious by fitting you with a body. Your biology reflects it. He doesn't make mistakes. He's not a man that he should lie. Nor a son of man that he should change his mind. So when we look at our bodies. Our feelings. Our sentiments are to be submitted to God and to his word. And when the state. The government takes this upon themselves to say. God's creative order of male or female is not right. I would just say this. That's blasphemy. This is man. It's government overstepping authority with regards to marriage laws and conversion therapy laws. Bill C-4 is blasphemy. That's what's explosive. And by the very nature of biology, which reflects God's blessing, it takes a male and a female to be fruitful. So to suggest you you could change your gender or that a a male could be pregnant or something like that is just, it's crazy, it's debased, it's a perversion of God's design. 
And so we as followers of Christ are in this conflict, aren't we? It's a spiritual battle with culture, with the wisdom of culture, the wisdom of this world, and with the word of God. And, and as a church, as your pastor, I, just, I don't want to stand up for a political ideology. So I'm just getting sicker and sicker of politics all the time, aren't you? I want to stand up for the word of God and the gospel of Jesus. And God's ordained design of a man and a woman in marriage is a, is a biblical order that he set up before sin came and messed everything up. And Jesus clearly stated his view of, of marriage. He said this, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And so marriage, church, is foundational to understanding our relationship with God. Marriage is, is foundational understanding. The New Testament tells us the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. He's like the bridegroom and she's like the bride. And marriage is God's design to bring children into the world. Marriage is the structure upon which nations are built. When you don't have marriage, what happens? Families fall apart and eventually nations fall apart. And children struggle with forming their identity. The church falls apart. Marriage is God's design from the very beginning for human relationships. And he made us male and female. And he made it perfectly clear. And in this world, the most valuable thing that you can have is to be in relationship with Jesus. And these ideologies of the world, they, they want to... Pull humans away from that. And I would just say this. Don't risk it. Don't throw it away. Don't risk salvation. Don't, don't throw your life away. Be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Even before sin came to spoil and mar God's creation... God made the first human family male and female. And mankind was created in the person of Adam. And, and when no helper was found for him, no companion for his body, for his soul, for his spirit fit for him, then God made something entirely new, something beautiful, a woman. And so let me give you four biblical truths as we wrap up here. First one is this. Number one, God made us male and female. And this is, wow, whoa, shocker. This is biologically identifiable at birth, okay? Gender is not something assigned by society. This is important. You know, the World Health Organization, uh, who has a committee uh, uh, that is discussing currently policy on, on transgender health. And the committee is primarily made up of activists. It doesn't have very many uh, health professionals on it. There are two Canadians on that committee. One who believes this and states it publicly, that they believe every child, every child should receive puberty blockers uh, regardless of their gender so that they can choose their gender rather than the one assigned to them by society. That's what's happening. It's insanity. And as Christians, we don't separate the concept of gender from sexuality. And we acknowledge that it is God who forms us in our mother's womb and made us male or female. 
dysphoria, gender dysphoria needs to be submitted to God. We're the work of his hands. We're like clay in the hands of the potter. That's what the scripture tells us. It's a very interesting picture. Maybe you doubt that. Then let me ask you a few questions. Like what control do you really have over your life? You had no control over the beginning of your life. You will have no control over the end of your life. We don't even know the number of days that we have. You know, I'd love to be like another inch taller. That'd be awesome. I'd like to grow some hair on my head. Okay. I can't do these things. Okay. I don't have control over them. We can't control our health. Man, health goes, doesn't it? We can't control sickness or accidents or disease. We never know what a day will bring. And the scripture says this, shall what is, shall the thing form say to its maker? Why did you make me like this? Your clay in the hands of the potter. And when you argue with God, it's not an argument between two equal parties. God's in heaven. Here we are on earth. He knows all things. He sees the beginning from the end. And the solution to a personal identity crisis is not to question and argue with God. The solution is this, to worship him. To worship him. To bow down and say, I don't understand, but you're God. I want to be right with you. And when you get right with God and you begin to worship God, it's then when you begin to understand his actions towards you. That he loves you. The second point is this that I'll leave you with. Is that marriage is a covenant before God between a man and a woman. The state doesn't define that. God's defined it. It's his institution. His legislation. Thirdly, the only place that God has ordained for the sexual union of a man and a woman is within the covenant of marriage. We need to be reminded of this always. It's a battle in our culture. It's a battle probably in every one of our lives. We need to know this is God's ordained design and he wants to bless it. Fourthly, creatures don't apologize for what the creator has said. I don't stand up here and apologize this morning. That's not my heart or desire. My heart and desire is to be faithful to the word of God. Not attacking people. Not attacking people, but declaring to those who would listen. If you are denying these biblical truths by word or by action, by your lifestyle, I can lovingly tell you you're caught in a lie. You're living a lie and Christ wants to set you free because he loves you. He loves you and he has the very best intentions and desires for you. In fact, when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you submit to him in these areas of life, you'll never find more identity and contentment than when you do. Peter speaks of the identity of the people of God. This is what God's word says about your identity. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies 
of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. I love that verse 11. That Peter says this, you're an exile. You're a sojourner in this world. You belong to another kingdom. And so abstain from the passions of your flesh and live for that kingdom. They're warring against your soul. Submit them to God. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30 to 31, it says this. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Wow, that identifies who that man is. That is Jesus Christ. Uh, he, is, he will judge the world. And so we can't, it, it live ignorantly. You're, you're not ignorant. You're informed by the word of God. And now our lives have to conform to the word of God. And it happens by this action. We repent of sin. And we come in faith to Christ Jesus. And you know what he'll do? He'll forgive your sin. He'll purify you from unrighteousness. He'll conform you into the image of himself. And he'll save you. And so this morning church. We're reminded that God's word presents to us a biblical sexual ethic by which we're to live, to honor him. It's for our good, for his glory, so that we would know our identity and we would be secure in him. So may God bless you this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you that we could just discuss this culturally relevant topic. And Lord, we want to be men and women who follow after you, who know what you value, who live according to the morals that you present to us. And Jesus, we just confess that in our own strength, we can't do it. We need your, we need your spirit at work in us. And so, Father, again, we pray, would you create in us a clean heart? Would you renew a, a right spirit with us, within us? Lord, I, I pray for any person here, Lord. I'm just so thankful that you love them and that your heart is for them. And God, if there is an area that's out of order in their life, I just pray right now that your spirit would begin to bring order. God, that you would be give, give them victory over that area in their life. I pray, Lord, that they would willingly submit it to you, uh, repent of it and ask you to forgive, Lord, and that you would cleanse and purify them and that they would know your peace and your love and the power of your spirit to conform our lives to Christ. Lord, every one of us need that. And so, God, we, we, we submit ourselves to you and we pray, God, that you would be honored in our bodies that you would be honored in our thinking, that you'd be honored in our hearts, that you'd be honored in our relationships. 
And we ask these things in Jesus' name.